Hi, my name is Caleb Pook, and the scripture reading today is from Matthew 9, 18 to 31. Hear now the word of the Lord. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her so she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then, a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread throughout all that region. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind man came to him, and he asked them, do you believe that, I'm, that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warned them sternly, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him all over that region. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we get into the sermon, just a very quick but big thank you to all of you who have given Sylvia and I just such an awesome welcome here at Seattle First Free Methodist Church. Um, some of you know, probably um, not very many, that for the first 10 days we were here, Lynn and Nancy Walker just let us take over their house. They were out of town. Um, and uh, this was a perfect place to land. And then they added to that their car, left the keys to their car. So, uh, and, and the great thing, it's a hybrid, so when gas prices skyrocketed, the amount of gas we needed to put in was much less. Uh, and then, just this past Wednesday, uh, because of some really hard work from your leadership team and some other folks in the church, uh, we were able to move into our little apartment just across the parking lot, um, a place that I don't think anybody lived in for a while, but they did some fairly extensive work getting it ready for us, and uh, the university who owns it also did. So uh, we just really feel welcomed and, and want to thank you for that. Um, I think we're all really thankful that the, the COVID numbers decreased enough so that the governor was able to, uh, to say ma masks are optional. Wear them if you'd like to, but you don't have to wear them. And we feel that same way about that here. I did just want to add one thing, and that is, um, although often I won't have a mask on, um, I really treasure those moments when I get to pray with you and your family or to visit for a while. 
And if for any reason, um, when, when we visit, you'd like me to put a mask on, I will have one somewhere on me available to put on and want to put it on. I just know that, that folks come at this very differently. We respect the differences. This is as weird a time as most of us have ever lived through. And it is an awesome moment for us as followers of Jesus Christ to show the kind of respect and care and, um, and really confidence that we have in one another. Um, but let's keep praying for each other too because we're unfortunately not past all of this yet. But God's going to work in spite of it. We know that for, for sure. Let's take a moment and pray as we get into this uh, passage of Scripture. Lord, we do thank you. Thank you that right now in Seattle, hospitals are not overrun. And thank you, Lord, that um, uh, you're at work in the middle of this truly weird and difficult time. You are drawing people to yourself. You are giving peace and a sense of comfort when otherwise we could be just so very much afraid. And when we are afraid, you are there with us. We're just thankful for that. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us your word. Um, it's more than ink on paper. It's more than a sound in our audio versions or, or the digital files that uh, hold it. It is alive. And Father, we want to present ourselves to you this morning to let that living word change the way we live. We thank you that it's possible. We look forward to what you're going to do, and we pray in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you know that during these Lenten weeks, we're going into the Gospels, and we're looking in particular at those stories about Jesus where the Gospel writer, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, chose to describe what Christ did as touching someone else. We, we believe he's, he touched many people, many people when he was alive and here on planet Earth. But in certain stories, about a dozen of them, the gospel writer specifically tells us that Jesus touched someone. In fact, in the reading this morning, three different people were touched by Jesus. And I have to ask myself the question, like this is not an accident that these words are here. Why in these situations did the writer choose, again, with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to describe what happened in that sort of graphic way? Because when Matthew wrote this, he was writing to people in a way very different than we are, but in a way very similar to us. People who had to get up in the morning, had to figure out how they were going to take care of their needs for that day, were going to have to face impossible situations on occasion. And Matthew wanted them, many of whom had never met Jesus, he wanted them to understand how Christ could work in their lives in similar ways 
to the way he worked in the lives of the people that we read about here in the New Testament. And he wanted them, and I believe the Spirit wants us to learn the same kind of faith, in-depth, powerful, dynamic faith that people here in the New Testament expressed. And here we have these three examples. Perhaps in the middle of them, we will understand better how we can receive the gift of faith that God wants to give to every one of us. Saving faith, leading faith, healing faith. Depending on what need we have in our lives, the Spirit and the words of Jesus show us how to work through those situations. So here, three people. Maybe people we'd less, least expect to have the kind of faith that they had here. First, there's this ruler in verses 13, uh, excuse me, 18 to 26. Well, of course, uh, a little bit of interlude in the middle of it. The ruler who comes to Jesus and says, my, my daughter has died. I need to have you come and take her by the hand so that she might live. Somehow he believed that if Christ would come, take her by the hand, she would come back to life again. Um, and Jesus probably was surprised that this man even approached him. Uh, Matthew gives us the abbreviated account of this story here. Mark gives us a fuller account. So Mark tells us what the man's name was, Jairus. Mark also tells us he was a ruler, not just a ruler, but a ruler of the synagogue. Now, we know that all the religious leaders at Christ's time were not among those who were uh, calling for his crucifixion, but most of them were. It was the exception that did not uh, want to destroy Jesus. And maybe this was a ruler of the synagogue that was more open to Jesus, but I suspect that this was a man who, if his daughter had not been very ill or dead, would not have wanted to have anything to do with Jesus. Jesus was was too dangerous, and there was no reason to want to support him. But this man comes to Jesus and says, I need you desperately. Perhaps Matthew is saying to us that if we want to put ourselves in the place where we can receive the gift of faith, that we can find it more easily if we have a desperate need that we will actually recognize within our life. Uh, it's a fascinating story, especially as you get into some of uh, Mark's account and Luke's account. Uh, when Jesus made it, because he did go to this man's house, when he made it there, there was commotion beyond what uh, probably most of us have experienced, except maybe at a major sporting event. Um, there were all kinds of things that were demanding in the, uh, the funeral kind of ritual, the wake ritual for people back then. They had to tear their clothes. That showed that they were uh, really, really grieving. In fact, uh, the commentators tell us there were 39 
different ways that they needed to tear their clothes. Then they had to make a lot of noise, wailing. And if family members weren't able to really make the amount of noise that would make everybody know that this was a family that was really grieving, then you would hire the professionals to come in and wail. And then, then they would have uh, flute players that would play sort of dirges at that time. And so into this situation, Jesus came. And, and when they saw Jesus came, come, they laughed at him sort of scorned him that he would even think he could make any difference here. And under those circumstances, this ruler of the synagogue reached out to Jesus with a desperate faith. So that's person number one. Person number two is the woman who in the middle of the crowd sort of secretly, Mark tells us, comes up just to touch the edge of Christ's garment. Probably, uh, probably touch one of the tassels on the bottom of his cloak. Because Jewish men at that time, it was part of the proper way to dress. She, again, Mark tells us, had been sick for 12 years. Had, had a flow of blood for 12 years that could not be stopped. So that made her ceremonially unclean just like the daughter of the ruler of the synagogue would have been ceremonially unclean. She shouldn't have been in the crowd at all. But she, again, is so desperate for God to do something in her life that she's willing to take this determined risk. Nobody is going to keep her from somehow touching just the fringe of the garment of Jesus. And we're told that when she touched it, she was made whole. In fact, uh, again, in Mark, we're told that whatever happened was dynamic enough so Jesus knew, with all these people pressing around him, that something had happened. Some of this healing power that he had within his body and person had actually gone into this woman. And so he turns around and talks to her, and she confesses what she's done but she's willing to take this huge risk um, in spite of the fact that in, as I read this, it almost sounds like uh, what she was doing could have been seen as being magical. You know, if I, if I can just touch, if I can just touch even his clothes, I'm going to be healed. But regardless of how clear um, vision she had of who Jesus was, she knew he could make a difference. And she was willing to take this huge risk in order to present herself to Jesus. Um, some of you have read of the writings of Henry Nouwen, Roman Catholic priest, a really a, a, great, a, a man of great faith, um, written a number of books. Now he's passed away, but I'd encourage you, if you come across any of his books, it's well worth the time to read them. But Nowen, uh, at one point in his life, becomes fascinated by the, uh, the uh, trapeze artists. You know, one guy swings back and forth, and uh, somebody else from the other side is on a, another trapeze, and then they are hurled from one person to another person, and, and now I become, became so fascinated by this 
I think it was in Germany, where he was following around this uh, trapeze act group um, and watching how they did it and, and uh, wanting to experience that himself. Got to know the leader of the troupe, I think his name was Raleigh, and uh, finally convinced Raleigh that Raleigh should let him be the, the flyer, you know, the one that's hurled from one trapeze artist to the other trapeze artist. And Raleigh, though, tells him, he says, now the one thing you have to remember is when you are flying through space and the catcher gets ready to catch you, do not grab a hold of him. If you grab a hold of him, you'll break his arms. He will catch you. And so, and so now when, when up there was throw, you know, on the trapeze held by one thrower through the air and let himself be caught. And he said afterwards, I don't know I, that I ever experienced any act of life that was so similar to me in my mind as the sense of having to risk with God something that he was calling me to do that was too big for me humanly, uh, humanly possible, but God was calling me to do it and, and I could never have thought I could have caught God. But God was the one who caught me. And I believe that's very true in life. Uh, someone has called the, um, the act of, of saving faith, you know, at that point in life where you realize God is real and you've never received him as your, as your personal Savior and Lord. And, and, and you're, you, something within you tells you that if you just throw yourself on Jesus, that he will catch you, that that leap of faith will be, will be rewarded. And so you do that. And many of us, in terms of our initial uh, conversion, experience that. I know I did. Um, that I just knew there was no choice but to depend on him and what he could do. And he always catches the person who throws themselves on them. And there is a sense that the gift of faith comes to us quite similarly, regardless of the situation in which we find ourselves. If we've never experienced saving faith, um, we probably came to a point of great desperation, at least in some part of our life, finally admitted it, and then we're willing to risk and at that, in the middle of that, I believe, is where we call it the, uh, the Holy Spirit. It's part, you know, one of the names for God, the, the triune God. He works this something in our heart and mind, almost beyond description, where we believe in this situation, yes, I can do it, it's still a great risk, but I will do it. It is similar, I believe, in many situations in life, where we're trying to figure out what to do. But we realize we're just not smart enough to put it all together. And at a certain point, you know, 
we've, we've realized we have a desperate need. We were like the ruler of the synagogue. We realized what it's going to take is a, a risk, a big risk on our part to depend on Jesus. Uh, and, and in the middle of that, somehow God gives us that inner sense. We believe it's the power of the Holy Spirit working within us that just gives us that tiny additional thrust into depending on him. Um, now, one more situation here where, again, the writer tells us that Jesus touched someone. So two blind men come to Jesus. And somehow they believe that Jesus can heal their sight. There were many, many blind people at that time, lack of cleanliness and disease. And these two believe that Jesus could heal them. Now, one of the interesting things in this part of the account is the way they, they refer to Jesus. Uh, you may have noticed that as it was read. This is verse 27. They say, have mercy on us, son of David. Now, this term son of David was the term that the Jews at that time used to describe the Messiah that they expected. But many of you know the Messiah they expected what did not come in the form that Jesus came. They expected a military ruler, someone who would defeat the Romans and anybody else that would in any way intimidate them. Could it have been that these two blind men, in spite of the fact that their understanding of who Jesus was was so limited, still had faith that Christ could heal them and our Lord not worrying about whether or not they had a decent concept of who he was, was willing to heal them. What a great encouragement to me. Because every once in a while, I'm reminded again of what a limited understanding I have of who Jesus is. Uh, those of you who were here last week may have remembered uh, for the title, I, I used the phrase, the Jesus I never knew off a marvelous book by Phil Yancey. And uh, in fact, somebody before the first service was saying to me, you know, on the way in last Sunday morning, I was thinking about the Jesus I never knew. Um, I grew up in the church. I read, you know, these stories were told to me, then I read them for myself in a kid's Bible, and then I read them for, as an adult. And at one point in life, I realized that that these stories were, were something akin to, to nursery rhymes in my mind. It wasn't like they were real. It, it wasn't that I didn't believe in them. It's just they weren't real to me. Well, in the middle of the struggles of life, when there's no way out for us, when we realize we have desperate need and our only hope is to take this leap of faith, this risk with Jesus. And when we realize that all we can do is depend on him, he does not determine his response on the basis of how well we understand who he is. Although the better we understand who he is, the better chance there is we're going to believe in him, of course. But our concepts of him are so limited. And really all he wants us to do is to humbly say, 
Here I am, Lord. I'm in an impossible situation. Maybe it's a relationship. I do not know how to make right. Or perhaps, perhaps it's a physical illness that just is overwhelming me. And somehow, Lord, I need your divine touch. Maybe it's a spiritual issue that you need to deal with, but you've tried on your own, but it's not working. In all of those situations, when we realize our deep need and we're willing to risk and we'll depend on him, he's ready to do something miraculously and something that comes because he puts faith on the basis of our openness into our lives. I think I shared with some of you that my wife Sylvia and I just recently uh, reread uh, Dallas Willard's uh, The Divine Conspiracy. It is a marvelous, you could call it a commentary, but, but Willard, although a great Bible scholar, was really a philosopher at heart. That's what he taught uh, in the university. And um, actually, this time we listened to it. Uh, audio versions are really neat sometimes, often in the car. And uh, I, I will always remember this part of it I was listening to on, on my own. When he began to talk about Matthew 7, 7, where ask and it will be given unto you, seek and you shall find, knock and you, the door will be opened to you. And then he made a statement. I need to go back to get it exactly the way he said it, but it was something like this. It was that prayer at its heart is a request. And, you know, I just stopped as I listened to that. Um, you know, I grew up, I think, in an era when about the only prayers I ever heard were a list of requests. And then, then I began to understand that prayer at its very heart is also praise. I mean, that's what gets us ready to make requests, as we remember how big God is. And prayer at its very heart is confession, as we confess our needs and, and, and our sins to him. And prayer is very definitely thanksgiving. But then... I, as, as Dallas Willard began to describe that, I realized that I had demoted requests just a little bit lower. And I thought to myself, what good news is this? If we come to Jesus and all we have is a request, you know, Jesus, son of David, heal my eyes, for example, or all we have is a request, uh, I don't really believe you're the Lord, but would you come to my house and bring my daughter back from the dead? Or I don't want anybody else to know what I'm doing, but I'm going to sneak into the crowd in order just to be close enough to you, Lord, so maybe you can make a difference in my life. And all of those situations, plus all of the situations that we carry in life, Jesus says, are you willing, are you willing to ask? Are you willing to present yourself to me for what I can do in your life? In just a few moments, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion together. And as I was thinking about uh, communion this morning, I thought, what would it be like if as we came to receive the communion elements, we could in our mind, in regard to some situation in life that's really bothering us, where, where we... We, we just don't know what to do about it, that we just, 
we were like a trapeze artist that let loose of the other stuff we had been depending on and said, Jesus, this is always all, only yours. That, that's what we do. We say, Jesus, this is only yours. Now, you and I know he's going to get us involved in the process. It's not magical, it's miraculous. And the miracle often comes as he gives us new understanding, new ideas, but in that moment, all we can do is throw ourselves like, like a man or woman flying through the air, believing that the God of the universe who came in Jesus Christ, if he would heal the daughter of a synagogue leader and heal a woman who snuck through the crowd and who healed two blind men that thought he was going to be an on white horse military leader, if he'll heal them, he can do something powerful in our life too. Pray with me, please. Oh, Father, how we thank you that this is the God that Matthew wants us to know. We are just humbled by that reality because it is not a God that we have often um, been able to think about. You're too powerful. You're too unpredictable with good. Um, you love people we have a hard time loving. And this morning, as we receive Holy Communion, this, uh, this bread and juice, that as we pray, does come, become in a spiritual sense your body and blood. As we do this, Lord, we again want to throw ourselves on your mercy, knowing that you're the grand catcher of all needy people. Work your best, we pray, in your strong name. Amen.